Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. sounds familiar my name is caleb and it's a full moon tonight that's when all the weirdos are out my name's stephanie and i had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle my name's justin and i attended juilliard i'm a graduate of graduate of the harvard business school i travel quite extensively i lived through the black plague and i had a pretty good time during that and my name is rachel and in case of emergency draw a door Hey, you did hear an extra voice tonight. <laughs> um, so we are joined this week by our friend Rachel, who, um, from my understanding, has pretty extensive knowledge of both of the films we'll be discussing today. Uh, Rachel, would you say Beetlejuice is your favorite movie? It is literally my favorite movie oh. of all time. <laughs> oh, well, we're in luck today because, <laughs> yeah, we... We um we knew that Rachel liked these movies, and we've been trying to get some guests on the show, which we're going to try to do with a little more frequency in the future. And so we like reached out to her. And we're like, hey, can, can you help us discuss these movies? Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have that many ideas about them. Uh, I just think they're just fun little Halloween movies. So I'm hoping that <laughs> you guys could uh, take the lead on this episode. Yeah. Okay, Halloween so the... is kind of my season. <laughs> <laughs> my my thoughts for the the comparison for these two was people who unwittingly summon uh you know evil spirits more or less like that they, they do something with like they know of a legend or something and they manage to summon uh, things that are just out of their control. Um watching Beetlejuice, I had it's been a while since I'd seen it. Um I realized it could have gone pretty well, pretty good with uh, Ghostbusters or uh, the Frighteners because Beetlejuice is literally a reversed Ghostbuster. He's a, a, a bio <laughs> exorcist. Yeah, that he's a correct. ghost One hundred percent. And um, I I could mention that you know the Ghostbusters and Beetlejuice do kind of know each other since they crossed past in paths in a park show at universal way back in the 90s oh. so wrap wrap your head around that folks <laughs> and it's on it's on youtube if you want to watch it it's hysterical <laughs> i'm doing so, that so do they like each after. other are they <laughs> no um He's a ghost. It's, they it's very no. it, it's very much in the same vein as the graveyard review musical show that used to be at Universal, um, in terms of comedy, yeah. Um, but there's a lot happening in it, and uh, it's honestly been so long since I watched it um, that I, the details kind of escape me on the plot. But it's Ghostbusters versus Beetlejuice. There's dancing involved, and it's hysterical. <laughs> I'm that, so that excited. sounds like a a great recipe for a sequel. Uh, is both of them trying to like bust each other? Like, Beetlejuice is trying to get rid of the Ghostbusters, and they're trying to get rid of Beetlejuice. I don't know. Sounds like a fun time. Gosh, that is a fan fiction waiting to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Please, imagine the tags. Um. Okay. Okay. uh, Personal experiences with Beetlejuice. I I don't know. I've seen it before. 
I've known of its existence my whole life, and I have, it is a movie I have seen multiple times. Um, yeah, so, I, I have seen it a couple times, not too many. Um, I think it has grown on me. The first time I saw it, I was like, I don't really know what to make of this. But to be fair, that's often how I feel about Tim Burton movies. The first time I see them, I'm kind of like, how am I supposed to feel here? But uh, upon subsequent rewatches, I think I appreciated it more. Um, actually, this time, which I, we might end up discussing this a little bit, I was kind of struck by how comparatively little of the titular character there is in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's really much more about the 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 ghost couple and the people moving into the house and that Beetlejuice is just kind of an agent of chaos, a, a puckish character who <laughs> um, kind of gets the plot moving. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I really liked it on this rewatch. I'm, I'm a fan. Um, I saw the animated series before I saw the movie as a kid and I loved it. So the minute I saw this, uh, both of these movies, I feel like set my, uh, uh, my taste in movies as a kid. Uh, you have over-the-top characters, a commitment to silliness, uh, somewhat sentient books of the dead. Uh, so I love <laughs> oh, wow. it. Oh, um, wow. I didn't even think about that. Uh, it's speaking, got a lot of similarities. <laughs> speaking of uh, that uh, Graveyard Review show, I actually, when I was living in Orlando, I auditioned to play Beetlejuice and had a terrible, terrible sinus infection on my audition. So I did not get it. Oh. <laughs> and how did... How, I mean, how was how was that? Was it, did did you have fun though? Oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. I just I couldn't talk. <laughs> I missed that show so much. Oh, you so have fun. no idea how much I miss it. Um, but uh, my my experiences with the Beetlejuice film and kind of the fandom as a whole is uh, I first watched that movie when I was four or five years old. It was around Halloween. Um, my mom was uh, taught like childbirth classes because she's a she was a nurse at the hospital, so it was just me and my dad. It came on um, ABC Family, and we sat and we watched it. And I remember looking at him, my dad, during a particular scene, and I just turned to my dad and I smiled and goes, "I like him." <laughs> <laughs> and a sign of things since- to come. And honestly, since then, um, up until really, honestly, I moved out, um, my father and I watched it every Halloween, every, like, every October. And it's one of the few films that I can enjoy with my father where we won't argue about it. So it means a lot to me. And um, the film and the fandom itself is one of the reasons why I have a lot of the friends that I do. I met two of my best friends in the world, Lori and Mariah. Um, because of the Graveyard Review show, and we met through Tumblr of all places, and um, it's just one of those things that has kind of connected me to all the other parts of my life. So it means a lot to me, wow. or more than just I like the film. Uh, have any of you guys seen or, or heard the musical? I haven't, but I, I have a couple of friends who I know are fans of it, so I was curious if any of you had. Yeah, I have, um, and even though I have a really... Even though I love Beetlejuice to death, the musical is not not really high on my um, adaptation list. For me, oh. it goes movie, park show, animated <laughs> series, and then Beetlejuice Ow. musical way down here. And I and I think it I think I don't like it because it's not how I would have done it, and it's uh. also not how any of my friends who are who love the fandom as a whole would have done it either. So there's like two songs that I really like, other than the like the house music, but um, it's just it. 
I don't want to turn this into a Beetlejuice the musical <laughs> review thing, but they took they took what they felt was the best elements from the film and the best elements from the animated series and put it together and made it an adaptation. Right. So, to me, I just consider all different adaptations as little different pocket universes, so they I try not to let them affect each other. Maybe that'll change when I eventually see the show live, when it goes on tour, when things are going to go on tour again. But we'll see. I hear the, the set and the puppetry is amazing, though, so we'll see. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, that being said, Rachel, would you like to give us our plot summation? So, the synopsis of Beetlejuice is as follows. <laughs> Spirits of a, dead, of a dead couple are harassed by an unbearable family, the Dietzes, that has moved into their home. How dare they, right? <laughs> and they hire a malicious, malicious spirit to drive the Dietzes out of their home. Hilarity ensues. Yeah. <laughs> there okay. That's pre- odd pre- point. Pretty good summation. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... I mean, what was y'all's favorite scene in the film? Oh, good Just question. Just to kind of, yeah, what favorite was y'all's favorite scene? Scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but uh, I always uh, one of the first things I think of when I uh, think of this movie is the uh, the dinner party scene. Um, cool just... boy. Yeah, iconic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Of course, the uh, the Beetlejuice as a snake stuff uh, sticks with me. Um, really, I, I like all the chaotic. Scenes. I have Tim Burton has a field day. I have a actually, fun. yeah, I have an actual uh, kind of a fact about the snake scene that I might share with you guys later. Oh, um, oh we gotta wait know. for or it. I can, yeah, or I can share it now. If Just you drop want. it now. <laughs> Okay, so the snake scene was actually filmed before Michael Keaton was even cast. Huh. Really? So so? the snake that you... uh, Well, there's probably a variety of reasons. He originally turned down the role um, because he didn't get it. Tim Burton had to fly out and, like, take him somewhere, some cafe or something, have lunch with the guy and explain to him his vision. And then Michael Keaton just went... Oh, okay, yeah, now I get it. <laughs> and took on the role, essentially. But the the snake scene was filmed before they cast it. The, the snake puppet itself or, um, looks completely different. It actually looks more like an animated snake with big yellow eyes and um, think almost like the snake from the Jungle Book a little bit, huh. but more evil-looking. Um, so, But then they but, changed its face to look like Michael Keaton, I guess. <laughs> to, to, to resemble him a little more. Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, so that's an interesting fact there. I, I My favorite scene. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, no, I guess I just ahead. guess they didn't need him to film most of the movie. You, you know, his well, his screen time is minimal. It's seventeen and a half minutes is when he's on film, and yeah. he actually only spent two weeks on set. That's huh. nuts. That is a that Part is a very short amount of time. Uh, yeah, he well, I mean, I think I remember hearing in like an interview once that he um. That's it's what it was one of his favorite films to do because he just basically just had to show up, do his thing, and then leave. And of course, he loved the character. Mm-hmm. Like um, Beetlejuice itself is very much a product of not just Tim Burton and of course um, uh, the man who wrote the script or adapted the original script by um, Michael McDowell, um, but it, very much a creation of Michael Keaton too. That whole look, whole personality, everything really about him. It was mostly Michael Keaton. 
Um, it, so, it feels like it. Yeah, that, I feel it like does. That comes through. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna ask you what your favorite scene was. Since you were my fa- my it. favorite, my my favorite scene is um uh the waiting room scene. Ah uh, yes. Uh, because I love I love any glimpse into that afterlife. No. Because Rachel, I, I was gonna list that as my favorite scene. <laughs> no, I have to think of a different one. <laughs> It's well, okay. I'm totally I mean, kidding. <laughs> you, you could, we could have the same favorite scene. I mean, I can tell you my other favorite scene, which is the the graveyard scene where he flies out of the coffin in the guide outfit. So <laughs> this movie's so good. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so good. I was it's gonna so say good. the same thing about the waiting room scene because I don't know. It's it's such an odd combination, very typically Tim Burton, of like whimsical but also kind of like creepy and unsettling. Uh, so, and it, it is fascinating to see that glimpse into this weird version of the afterlife, um, because it's like the afterlife exists on multiple dimensions because they, they simultaneously exist in the, the house. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's also, they can go through the portal into the, like, afterlife facility. Yeah. <laughs> it's very I, odd. I, I fondly call it. This is no in no way canon, but I fondly call that whole department afterlife affairs. That's what I've just <laughs> always sense. referred referred it to it as since mm-hmm. I was like six, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's it's just one of those things that it's like you get a little glimpse into how this version of the afterlife works, and it's uh, a phrase or a, a sentence struck strikes me to describe it which is the more things change i.e you go from being alive to dead the more things stay the same so in real life we're caught uh with a lot of red tape when it comes to dealing with controlling um companies entities governmental entities that kind of thing there's a lot of red tape and guess what it's there in the afterlife too except more (laughs) that is kind of the thesis of the movie isn't it like mm -hmm. it it (laughs) <laughs> they they feel kind of powerless like even in the afterlife to like continue living their their life the way they wanted to and so that's why they kind of have to enlist his help and even that they only end up doing because they can't get much help from the people who are actually in charge of the afterlife um so did everyone give their give their favorite scene i mean i didn't but that's because i couldn't I can't provide one. You can't um, think of one. There's, there's too many. They're all good. Uh, while we're on the, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, while we're on the waiting room scene, I do just want to talk about the, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it the creature design. Uh, and through that whole oh. sequence is phenomenal. Um, I'll never forget those, uh, the flattened football players on that conveyor going through. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It's just so good. And of course, the iconic man with the shrunken head. Yeah, uh. the creature. <laughs> that is what happens when they die. The <laughs> creature and like... character design in this movie is remarkably unsettling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is a reason it won an Emmy in 1989. So, I, it, this movie is like macabre is about the most I can handle, and the the 
I don't know. J- Justin and Stephanie both know that I have remarkably uh, weak stomach for horror. Horror. Um, <laughs> and like I said, the character and creature design in this one is just like starting to push the limits of my comfort because I'm like, like there's so much that makes my skin crawl. Um, yeah. So I bet you were kind of bothered by the you know magician's assistant cut in half, the flattened old man that goes through the I, the flattened old man. Flat. I can't stand. Um, the when I was a He's kid, literally I'm, roadkill. When I was a kid, I swear I had nightmares about um, um, what's her name sculptures. Um, Delia, yeah, about Delia. Delia sculptures. I love her. The sculptures, even yes, everything about this. Oh, and the the shrimp hands. God, <laughs> no. Yeah. So, uh, as a kid, I had a toy oh, of a uh, Barbara with her eyes in her mouth you would like hit a button on the back and her mouth would flap open and have the eyes and i didn't know what it was from for the longest time i just I thought love it was that the so weirdest much. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the the things i always look for at yard sales and thrift stores is the old like beetlejuice merchandise from like way back in the 90s and the late 80s um because they're so hard to find and some of them are really junky and weird but that's what gives them charm yeah R- rachel do you think uh, I hope you might be able to answer some questions I have about the rule, the the way this movie works, the way its rules work. Okay, I'll do what I can, do... but I will I will preface it with: there's a lot we do know, and there's a lot we don't know, and we'll never know. <laughs> yes. So. Um. Do you? So they have to stay in the house for 125 years. Mm-hmm. Do you know what happens after that? So probably, I would assume that the standard, the 125 years is kind of a standard haunting thing. That's, that's, it's based on how you lived your life, da 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 So they probably got the very base allotment of what their haunting is, I would say, because they were very normal, boring people. <laughs> um, but probably after that, um... Uh, I'm going to kind of go into weird theory land a little bit based on sequel scripts that were never produced. Oh. I.e. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian and Beetlejuice <laughs> in Love. <laughs> Only one of those was written by the guy who did the Beetlejuice original script. Not Michael McDowell, the other guy that came after him. Oh, uh, um, Warren Scarin. And... Warren Scarin. Um, so actually all of his scripts, including Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice in Love, is actually um, in the library at some university at Texas that you could just check out and read pretty much whatever you want. So if anyone's listening in Texas, check that out. <laughs> um, but um, so I remember a scene in both of the, um, in, God, it was either Beetlejuice in Love or Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, where they're in like this um, room and it's almost like an AA meeting, but it's ca- talking about reincarnation. So I guess once you complete your haunting, you either have a choice to go to the netherworld and stay there or to begin a new life. That's would be, that would be my assumption. So, That's but they don't talk about that in the original film, obviously, nor should they, because that would open another can of worms. No, it, the the original film makes me question the point of even mentioning that they're given 125 years. Like, why even give us a number? I don't know. It's, prob- it's probably, um, think about how the, the handbook for the recently deceased is written, i.e. it reads, like, stereo instructions, so it's yes. filled with legalese and stuff <laughs> like that. So that's probably one of those legalese terms, like, okay, you know, you have to complete your required 125-year haunting before you can move on to any of the next steps. Bureaucracy so, um, is eternal. Bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, that works for me. I feel like this movie has 
a lot of ideas and less themes. Like, it has some things that it puts out there, but, like, aren't fully supported by the text. Like, um, the main characters, um, what are their names? The couple who die. Oh, gosh. Adam and Barbara. Thank you. Um, they, it's hinted or implied in the first couple scenes that they want to have kids and are having trouble. And then in the very last scene, they become like adoptive parents to Lydia. Um, but yeah. that was never brought up again right. at any other point like, throughout it's the a, movie. It's a sweet character arc that I like because we were just coming off discussing Ghostbusters, which doesn't really have character arcs. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, the, um, I liked that. Um, it, it was a little funny because it's like... <laughs> she's still living with her parents but she also has like kind of surrogate parents also uh but it's nice it's like you know no one has to lose anything and they do in fact gain things um i i particularly like the moment where what's his face alec baldwin was like had that like mega dad moment and he was like how could you get how could you not do well at that test we studied all week and i was like oh they're just like a little a little ghost family now that's really cute um but also it does seem that maybe things are improved with her actual parents a little bit since they <laughs> kind of had to witness that whole thing. So maybe their <laughs> things are going to be a little bit better now. But I did think that was nice how they kind of became like a family at the end. I don't know if it's really theme. Right. That's what I was getting. Like, at. because what Rachel mentioned about like the bureaucracy and stuff and like that kind of feeling of powerlessness, that's also a little bit of a theme. Um, I don't know what, it's, do I, I don't know. I feel like this movie is very Ghostbusters in that department. It has a lot of ideas, but no real <laughs> themes that run through it. It has some jokes it wants to make and concepts it wants to propose, but... I don't know. I, I feel like there is a little bit of a through line um, about uh, accepting change and kind of finding uh, comfort within your circumstances because uh, Beetlejuice is not the main character of this movie. Um, the Maitlands okay. and Lydia are. Yeah, he's definitely not. Um, and <laughs> you know, we've already kind of talked about it. Uh, the Maitlands, they're having a hard time adjusting to, you know, being dead. They're having a hard time adjusting to these people being in the house. And Lydia's just having a hard time relating to her family and the people around her. Uh, so it's the movie is about their, uh, those three characters and their growth. You know, Justin, it's I, interesting I, that you bring that up because I actually had a, um, and, <laughs> a thought uh, this time around while I was watching it. Um, there's this kind of term that's used often when discussing like uh, uh, themes of stories, kind of like Campbellian type stuff. Um, like in a mythic structure of a story, there can sometimes be something called the middle way, which is basically like uh, learning to, I think it, it comes from like, kind of Buddhist thought that's like learning to find the path that works for you within the circumstances that you have. I'm probably horribly butchering the, <laughs> the concept here, but uh, I kind of thought about this that this time. I was like, oh, so what they're doing is they're finding the middle way. They, you know, they can't completely change their circumstances the way they wanted to, but they also don't have to just accept them the way they are. They kind of can find <laughs> that way to acclimate to their surroundings but also change their surroundings for the better uh without 
without being able to completely get things back to the way they were because they can't. And, you know, uh, once you've crossed the the death-life divide, <laughs> you can't go back to how it was before, yep. but you can still do good. You can still find happiness. So I guess there's a, there's a little bit of philosophy to be found here. <laughs> and they do that by, I like... Think... Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's 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 not really an overall theme, but I think there's little snippets of the like different thematic elements found throughout it. Like, you know, found found family, stuff that you guys have said in regards to finding your own happi- happiness in the circumstances you are given. Yeah. And I also think there's other themes that are kind of based on Burton's own career and personal life that he has kind of put into the film in terms of, you know, alienation loneliness and dealing with that kind of loneliness um con the the whole overarching theme the only overarching theme in it is death and how people respond to that and then suburbia is another theme like it kind of turns suburban kind of a little bit on its head and then also business is another theme in there because mainly with charles it's all business. Those do seem to Very be recurring themes in Tim Burton's work, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. all of those things, like the loneliness, like suburbia, <laughs> capitalism, all those mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, he has a lot to say and strange ways to say Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I, we might be a little harder pressed to find themes in Hocus Pocus than we are in this one. But... Uh, virgins are nerds well, and should that... be bullied. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's. Uh, do we have any other major thoughts going on here? Anyone who actually took notes? Yeah. <laughs> On, on, uh, well, like I said, my notes are literally just weird facts that I can talk to you guys Smoke about. Smoke if you got them, Rachel. Of... Come on. Okay. <laughs> so, um, the, one of the funniest things I've encountered, like, you know, I've, I've been in the, this fandom a long time, which is a very small, strange fandom that is kind of shoehorned into a corner. Um, I'm happy, you know, the film is now 30 something years old. Uh, it, there's been a lot of merch that has come out. Uh, the musical came out. It's kind of has a there's it's triggered a renaissance on Beetlejuice in a way. Um, I mean, he was a um, he was quite the presence at um, uh, well, what would have been HHN this year. Rest in peace, oh. HHN <laughs> this year. We'll see you next year. Um, yeah. Hopefully. But um, oh no. Listen, we're, we're putting it out into the ether that it's coming. Okay, we're gonna—it's gonna happen. For our um, listeners who do so, not live in Orlando, Florida, HHN stands for <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, I know that like the studio that produced um, Beetlejuice didn't like the term, or did not like the title, and so Burton, kind of tongue in cheek, suggested "scared sheetless" and was surprised that they actually considered it of course we know what title they actually went with oh Um, that's funny i was actually thinking of like i i thought it was kind of a funny title for it since he's not really in that much of it and then and the name is just kind of like a funny gross name that he has Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like why isn't it called like like the recently deceased or something like that (laughs) i don't Mm -hmm. know like the handbook but i guess they really wanted him to have that kind of presence (laughs) In the movie. And and I, well, he's such and a big Keaton character. wasn't the first casting choice for him. Right. Yeah, he is. And Keaton wasn't the first casting choice for him. Um, Burton originally wanted, believe it or not, Sammy Davis Jr. to play 
Beetletooth. Now, this was when... Who's that? I've heard that name. Who is that? Uh, so, Sammy Davis Jr. was an American actor. Um, and he was a vaudevillian, very popular guy. Um, pretty well-known out there. And um, But Burton originally wanted him to play the role of Beetlejuice. And I think this was probably around the time when it was still Michael McDowell's script or when the rewrites were still going in. And producer David Geffen was actually the man who suggested Michael Keaton. And then it just went from there. Hmm. I yeah. want to see that alternate universe cut of yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah, for real. Huh. All right. Um, let's see. Yeah, and... But um, another casting that was supposed to happen while you were looking at your notes, uh, Stephanie, um, was Delia was not supposed to be played by who she was played by. She was actually supposed to be played by Angelica Houston. Oh, I could see that. I could see that. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So so think of, you know, that kind of interconnected spooky movies there with, you know, her being Morticia and all that, so that's interesting. I also, I, do love me some I did really like, though. what's the name of the actress who played Delia in this one? Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara. Yeah, right, Home Alone Lady. Uh, I do like her. I think she does some really great faces. <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah. She is like, killing me in Schitt's Creek. Uh, I, I just oh, she yeah. that? It and, oh my god, yeah. she's hilarious. Okay. She's, she's an abs- I loved her in a series of unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. She was really good oh, in that, too. I'm glad she's still working. So, that's cool. Um, so Yeah, she's awesome. Rachel, since you have knowledge... Uh, <laughs> you have the knowledge. Um, I had a question. <laughs> uh, it, okay. It, first of all, this is a two-part question. Like, is Beetlejuice the ghost of a real person who lived? And was that person born in the Middle Ages? So, this is kind of one of those questions that is like, we don't know, and we probably will know. We'll never know. Yeah. Um, so, so Tim Burton has kind of said that he's kind of a spirit that has existed in all times and no times at all. He's kind of timeless. Okay. Um, but in the but in one of the original drafts of the script, um, simply because he worked as Juno's assistant, it was assumed that obviously he killed himself, and uh, one of the commonly accepted fanon theories is that um he was basically rejected by a woman and um and killed himself hung himself because of it uh so that's not obviously canon we don't know we will never know right. um but the there there's obvious fan theories and that kind of stuff but there isn't really a canon answer as to where he comes from because he has a lot of elements of everything in it is he is he actually like several hundred years old? Like, isn't there a line in the movie that's like something about that? Yeah, yes, but he's also a liar, so we don't really know whether or not. <laughs> Fair enough. So, really, really, honestly, the the only character that he doesn't really lie to is Lydia. So... Fascinating. Oh, he when he's talking to Lydia to convince her to uh, say his name. He says something like uh-huh. he needs to get married to get out of this. What is yeah. is he just yanking her chain, or is there some sort of weird stipulation no. that he has to? I... No. So it's it's um, it's once again there's nothing in canon to right to of course really why would there to be? really support this? But it's a fan accepted theory that there is um, of course the B man used to work for the people who essentially wrote the handbook on how to navigate your death and him being a con man probably has the entire thing memorized loopholes included (laughs) so 
probably attaching himself to a living spirit, i.e. marrying them, would then get him out of what is essentially a name curse, where you can only summon him and vanquish him by saying his name three times. The way to, for him to essentially get out of all that would be to be attached to someone in the living realm, so he can be in the living realm, whereas otherwise he wouldn't be able to. So there's a lot going on with that. And there's a, once again, there's a lot we don't know, but I would assume that it has to do with a loophole in the handbook. So and we're assuming he's not lying when he says that? What? I'm assuming that he's maybe the, like the, the, them getting married might not have been the way that it would needed to go. It could have been done another way, but essentially I, I, I would think that he just needed to attach himself to someone to hmm. solidify himself into the living realm, as opposed to being stuck in the netherworld or Saturn. So, That's, oh, okay. That's another thing. So the thing with the sandworms, is that literally just the planet Saturn? What? Uh, what? I, that's <laughs> a, I, yes and no. Um, uh, the reason why I mentioned this is I don't know that the sandworms were um, there from the beginning in terms of like uh, the development of the film. I know that there's a deleted scene um, uh, that features Limbo, which literally features Adam standing on a bunch of like kind of like on a on ground that's fabricy ground and it has a bunch of gears like ripping through the literal fabric of time and it gets a hold of one of his pants legs and starts to rip it and then he just whoop, back in back at his house <laughs> like yeah, so there's a lot of cut scenes that you can actually find on YouTube. They're not obviously not great, great quality because of when it was filmed. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so there was some stuff that was cut that might have bridged the gap a little bit in terms of answers. Oh, okay, man. But I, I, don't, I don't quite know the reason behind sandworms. I'd have to do a lot of... A lot of research. I am on that. so I am so loving this uh, deep lore dive in this movie. Yes. I forgot I, I was supposed to be talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm gonna stop grilling Rachel for a second. Um, <laughs> during our one of the last factoids, I I realized that Tim Burton plays fast and loose with the rules of death and marriage in between his own films, because it is a major plot point in The mm. Corpse Bride mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, the marriage of the two main characters is not binding because death has already parted them because Emily was dead when he said his mm-hmm. vows. Fascinating. Yeah. We found a connection. That's another, that, that's another, that's another kind of weird theme that it appears in Burton's films is that kind of thing. So we also noticed the cool. recurring that's... theme of dead dogs in Burton's films. Well, <laughs> and, and just dogs in general. Cause he's, you know, he's an animal lover. I mean, yeah. the reason why Adam and Barbara died was because, Oh my god, you're right. (laughs) Burton, what is going on here? Can someone check on Tim Burton? Is he he okay? Is he doing good? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so Justin, did you have any notes? Um, We've been talking (laughs) over a little bit. Uh, Did you have any thoughts here? No, I got too accustomed to the... uh the discussion question so i pulled a caleb Sorry. which is caleb pulling a justin Oop. <laughs> yeah because normally i Oop. have a ton of notes and i'm the one leading the notes discussion but uh my bad. uh well um okay let's see i think we can wind down here unless anyone has some closing thoughts 
Um, Rachel, one of the things that, well, I do want to talk about two Easter eggs just really briefly. So, um, you guys remember when Adam and Barbara are in Juno's office and she's essentially berating them for how they've been behaving and doing everything. Do you guys remember that part? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you look behind them, you'll see a window that has a movie theater full of ghosts. What? In it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, they can be seen through the, like, the office window, and you can, if you look closely, you'll see a, um, red skeleton, um, or just, um, which is kind of, um, from Mars Attacks, it's the same skeletons that were used in that, which is another Burton film. Um, and then you also see, um, two suited up gentlemen that kind of look like the Blues Brothers. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting Easter egg, too. Huh. Um, another thing is that um, uh, while Adam and Barbara are in the waiting room, if you listen carefully, you'll hear an announcement over the PA, which is talking about the arrival of Flight 409, uh, which is uh, that's based on a 1955 crash of the actual Flight 409, which mysteriously went down and killed everybody on board. Oh. So that's kind of a, a little Easter egg there. There's a, there's a lot of little things like that. Wow. in it um and but yeah their the original script was supposed to be much darker and then they changed it thank goodness because <laughs> beetlejuice was originally supposed to be a literal demon literally which is probably the only element from the original script that they kept in the musical because he's was born in the netherworld huh. as a demon ah. so Huh. So this... that's one of those things, and there was actually an and an, like an anti Beetlejuice character. Um, Justin, you kind of might that kind of might ping your memory a little bit with the animated series, mm-hmm. the last episode of the animated series where he splits into good and bad personalities. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the original script, there was a character called Swallowtail, who we never see, but was understood to be terrifying in his own right, who was essentially an angel. But that's who they were supposed to originally contact. The, the Maitlands were supposed to originally contact as their representative or something like that or to help them, and Beetlejuice just kind of shoehorns himself yeah. in there. So, um, But um, another little tidbit I wanted to talk about is I don't know if you noticed in the one scene where um, Charles is in the study and he's wearing that red se- sweater. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Where he's Vaguely. looking at the... I don't know. So <laughs> that, red, that red sweater comes up later, but Delia's wearing them as pants. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> so, something to look for later. She okay. somehow uh, wraps them and wears them as pants and I'll, puts a pair of suspenders I'll... on. I don't know. She's a fashion icon. Yeah, she's artistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of so. Charles, I did have one little note I wanted to say about Charles. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. a note so much as something that I, a tiny little thing I found strangely hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. When he's rifling through the office for the first... or. I don't know if it's the first time. He's rifling through the office and he has, he sits down and he finds an Audubon field guide and like a illust- illustrated mm-hmm. bird guide, and he opens <laughs> it up and flips a couple pages and just goes, birdies. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. Considering considering what happened with that actor. Yes. I don't know why I like I, Charles Dietz so much. Yeah. Oh, is he the one that He's like... the one. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, it's that guy. Oh, no. Well, we'll just pretend yeah. it's someone yeah. else. I, I'm gonna end my little 
notes discussion thing um, where with with the following, there has been probably dozens of sequel scripts that have been sent to Burton about this. Only two got to him where he actually considered. One of them being Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian and the other one being Beetlejuice in Love. Beetlejuice in Love was actually um, Warren Skarin's last work, I think, before he died. Um, and it didn't even happen, of course, because it, they denied it. But there's been dozens. God, I think they're on like draft 12 Jeez. of a possible sequel script. That may never happen because even though Winona Ryder and Michael Keaton would love to come back on, which please, please let them do so before something happens to either of them. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Burton, but really what it comes down to is, and what they've said before, especially Burton is the stars essentially have to align to where they are all free to do it and don't have any other obligations. Can I ask? Um, um, Cause they would love to, who, honestly. Can I ask who Beetlejuice was in love with? <laughs> oh, in love. <laughs> it's it has nothing to do it has that's the, the the title has nothing to do really with the plot um <laughs> it it's it yeah so there well there's one scene between um in both actually well more so in beetlejuice and love kind of between the b-man and miss argentina where you can kind of be like oh all right Okay. Mm, they, okay. It's like they've got down to business. All right. Uh, so you can tell that they know each other, but it's one of those things that it's like, will it happen? Won't it happen? We don't know. I, I think more so now than ever, we have more of a likelihood of them coming back and doing a sequel um, because that, you know, uh, Michael Keaton's back in his superhero phase with, you know, um, being in Spider-Man and that kind of thing. Um, and then Burton's back in his spooky phase because he's doing a live adaptation of Adam's Family for TV, apparently. Nice. Huh. So we're closer now than ever. They're, they're, they're basically film types that they're doing is now kind of oh, getting point. back in line to what they were doing then. So okay. I think if it's going to happen, it'll happen in the next five years, I'd say. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh... I'm... That I'm was going to be one of my questions that. for you is um, if mm -hmm. you thought something was on the horizon, because like you said, he had such a big presence or was supposed to have such a big presence at Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, last month he was apparently uh, there was an entire episode of Teen Titans Go about him. Um, so it sounds yes. like they're starting yes. to like make the public conscious of Beetlejuice again. Right. So in Teen Titans Go, they did a Halloween episode where literally the main character was Beetlejuice, essentially. Um, and it did. So now, mind you, it was voiced by the um, uh, the the man who played Beetlejuice on Broadway, and he did an excellent job. So I think on and, you know, it was very popular at HHN, which this was the year of the return of the icons. And I don't know if you guys know, know but back in 1992, when they did Horror Nights, Fright Nights, and the icons were the original, you know, the Universal Monsters, mm -hmm. and basically the master of ceremonies was Beetlejuice himself. Nice. Uh, so it's one of those things like they're they're definitely trying to put the um, the IP out there, uh, but I think more so than a sequel, we have more of a chance of maybe a re reboot on the cartoon because that episode of the show did of a uh, Teen Titans Go did so well. That's actually the only episode of Teen Titans Go that I've watched. Uh, simply because it had Beetlejuice in it, uh, but because you know I know my type. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things that it's like if it's gonna happen, we'll probably get a cartoon reboot or remake or successor or something like that. But it would probably more so involve the 
the fellow who played him on Broadway as opposed to Michael Keaton at all. But it was definitely movie verse Beetlejuice, a fact of which I was thankful. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But nice. I, don't, I don't know if anything's on the horizon. I really don't. And I almost, I almost religiously keep an eye on the intellectual property uh, because anytime they file for something having to do with it, they have to it's out there it's like like a almost like when you file a patent yeah uh so who knows okay. i'm i'm excited to see how it goes stay tuned folks but all right stay tuned um i'd say that's probably a good point to take our break yeah um all right guys yep. we will be back right after the break to talk about hocus pocus hi everyone justin here thank you so much for checking out our show you may notice some audio issues during these early episodes as we're recording them in separate locations during quarantine. It is our intention to record in person once it's safe, but for now, we work with what we have. Please follow the recommended guidelines, wear your masks, stay safe, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to Sounds Familiar. Uh, my name's Caleb. You already know that because you listened to the first part of this <laughs> yeah. podcast, presumably. And we're back to talk about 1993's Hocus Pocus. Stephanie's favorite movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. That's we'll believable. get into that later. <laughs> um, okay. Personal experiences. Oh, are we? About what? Yeah, we're starting out with those and then doing the summer. Don't see why not. Okay, yeah. About the same as Beetlejuice, except I uh, grew up with more fond memories of this, because it didn't scare me as much as a kid, presumably. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I've been watching this movie since I was real little. I I like it. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized the emphasis on the main character being a virgin and how much his younger sister roasts him for it is a little weird. Um, but... I'm here yeah. for it. <laughs> right. Specifically, the aspect of his younger sister roasting it for it is like, why, why would, virgin how would she lit know? the candle. Yeah. Girl, you are in the eighth grade. Oh, eight. Not even. And she's like, maybe. She's like, eight. Eight and a half. She wouldn't she, be in the eighth grade. She, then. Sorry. I'm at second grade. This guy. <laughs> she, she spit hot fire that entire film. Yeah. She did. That she has. I'll, I'll, I wrote a note about it. So I'll cut to it. Stephanie? Um, okay, so I actually, unlike a lot of people my age, did not grow up watching this film. Didn't really even know about it until rather recently. Uh, I think I first watched it, what was it, a couple years ago with you? Um, which seems to be a recurring theme for a lot of the movies we're talking about here. Is I didn't watch them until Caleb uh, wanted to watch them and then I watched it with him. Uh, yeah, didn't really know that much about it. Uh, I, get, I think this was the second time I've seen it. Um... I have a feeling that I would like it more if I had grown up with it. As it is, I find it a little on the slow side. Um, I do really like the witches. Uh, I really like all of their scenes. Um, and those are funny and like in a kind of improv-y kind of SNL kind of way. Um, I do like them. All the stuff with the boy and like his kind of girlfriend and sister i just it bores me to tears <laughs> i guess we'll gotta go ahead and get that out of the way but but uh <laughs> i totally respect those of you who love it uh <laughs> justin uh 
this is one of the first movies I remember seeing that had like witches and zombies and stuff like that in it. Uh, so I watched this pretty much every year of my life as a kid. And then uh, in high school, I, had, I didn't watch it for like five years. And then in one day when we were getting uh, wasted at a Halloween party in college, we decided to <laughs> throw it on. And now it's become a staple again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was probably one of those people that watched it for the first time when they did a rerun on Disney Channel. And it's a, you know, it's a classic for me. Not my favorite. We know what my favorite is, but um, it's it's still uh, a movie that I do enjoy watching, and I I will typically watch it every October um, for my Halloween movie, you know, tradition stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's um I like it. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's also just got a lot of weird stuff in it. Like, but I'll I'll go into that as we talk talk the film. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, talk about it because I have some thoughts. So. All right. In the year 1693, the Sanderson sisters are executed for practicing witchcraft. Um, 300 years later, a, a virgin <laughs> lights a candle that brings them back from the dead. Uh, and they have only the night of Halloween to suck the life force out of Salem's children so that they can live forever or perish at sunrise. And the main characters have to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Apt. <laughs> I have notes, so I can guide us through this a little bit better. All right, hell yeah. Okay, so. I'm ready for this. First off, Thackeray Binks. Sorry to my man. <laughs> I'm sorry he's named Thackeray. Um, <laughs> so, the actor who plays human Thackeray is Sean Murray, who anyone who watches TV with their grandparents uh, knows as Gibbs from NCIS. Not Gibbs, sorry. Uh, McGee. McGee from NCIS. I was about to say! Uh, Rachel was like, I watch NCIS. I have a grandma. I, I was like, I, I was literally, I don't have a grandma, oh. actually. I'd, uh, I I'd say, watch Mark, Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon. I, would, I would watch Mark Harmon, please. <laughs> um, but he is voiced by Jason Marsden. Weird. Even as we all love Jason Marsden, the um, uh, Max Goof, uh, or our uh, Tino Tonatini for all three Weekenders fans out there, um, and we are two of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know what's bullshit? Jason Marsden doesn't even get named in the credits. What? What? Sean Murray plays human form of Thackeray Banks, but I looked. I watched the credits several times last night. Jason Marsden is not named in the credits. Huh. So what so what you're saying is is we need to get on Twitter, on Jason Marsden's Twitter, <laughs> mm -hmm. and basically say at Mars at home. Uh, excuse Yeah, I'd be like, uh why weren't you credited in the in, in the film? <laughs> like we Hashtag all know justice it's you, for but, Jason. Yeah, Justin uh, for but Jason. why <laughs> but but why why weren't you credited in the credits? Could was there a reason? I need to know for science. Uh, so. so while while we're talking about this, um, so Sean Murray has his like his Sean Murray voice in this opening sequence. No. Then when he's a cat. No. 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 Oh, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Okay. No, he's still voiced it's... by Jason Marsden. See, that's the weirdest part to me. Why wouldn't yep. he just have the guy? If you look close enough, voice. the ADR doesn't line up quite right. Okay. They probably I, I didn't say, like. Uh, they probably didn't his... like the way that that uh, John 
he talked. Ouch. So he probably didn't like the way that Sean talked. No, that's fair. Child actors for fairly cheap movies in the 90s, man. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Um, so Thackeray's sister is stolen by the witches and killed. Um, he does not succeed in stopping them, and then they turn him into a cat. An, an immortal uh, cat. So, this scene, um, it's not that big of a deal because the witches, like, win out anyway. But when Thackeray first shows up and uh, <laughs> uh, Sarah and Mary Sanderson are kind of, like, jostling around, like, trying to catch him, why didn't Winifred just zap him right away? If that is an option... <laughs> Don't let him pull over your cauldron. Don't, like, dance around with him. Just zap the kid. <laughs> well, That's a great that question. Would, that, that, you know, that would just, th- that would be the, you know, end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I have, there, I have a lot of questions like that about this movie, and you just have to let them go. Like, when the kids first mm-hmm. run off with the book, why doesn't Winifred call for book? She can summon him, but only if he's within earshot. But, like, later at the very end, she calls for him, and, like, he lights up a beacon. Why didn't she do that? From the very beginning. I don't know. It ends up not mattering because they chase the kids down pretty quickly after that anyway. Um, the book is a super impressive prop, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have actually been working working on a replica of it for a number of years now. But I have to make each individual spell page. So. Oh, wow. Jesus. Is, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, it's gonna be years before I finish it. I have more. I have more of a chance of completely writing the handbook for the recently deceased, which doesn't exist, than I do that. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, cut to three hundred years in the future. Um, Max has just moved from California, and he's too cool for Salem, Massachusetts. I don't understand. This- I don't understand why why being from California is so stigmatized. Like, is that a real thing in it New was, England? I swear like, to God, this was a major plot point in the 90s in movies. It was like the what? cool kid who moved from California because they're all surfers. Because and, all California, yeah. all Californians are cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. everyone uh, seems this so kid, mad about this it. This kid is a major dweeb and kind of a dick. <laughs> Dude, He's a uh, this scene in, uh, when... They're in class and they're getting the history lesson. He's like, you guys don't serious believe in this. Halloween, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I hope you get bullied. And then he does in the next scene. <laughs> he does. Yep. Well, okay. And then Allison corrects him. And my man's like, okay. And gives her his number. So clearly he's 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 down with a woman who will put him in his place. Um, I'm just saying it. He's from California. They're more so progressive. This kid has balls but no yeah. spine. Okay, because <laughs> he will, he will, anatomically awful. he will make a fool of himself in, cl- in class and then like hit on the girl who m- helped like make a fool of him, but then turn around and do nothing to stand up to his bullies um, when they're picking on him or his little sister. So that's what I mean when I say he's got balls, but no spine. He like roasts them a little bit in that first scene where he encounters them. But apart from that, that first really. scene where you, <laughs> when you run but into the two crackheads who live in the cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> but they're not intimidated by no, him at all. Not. Like, okay, you're no. from California. Also, give me your shoes. What is the point of those guys? Like, why are they? There? We had to. They were a necessity in the '90s. Comedy. <laughs> yeah. Comedy. Every scene that they're in, I am intensely bored by. Yeah. You know, like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I do like when they show up later in the witch's house, though. That was funny to yeah. me. Well, they get put in the yeah. Cages. Um. So part of the legend in this movie is that the the candle has to be lit on Halloween by a virgin. Does it have to be a full moon? 
Does it? There's um, something about a full moon that's mentioned. Or maybe, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So, the uh, full moon is important somehow. Um, and I thought Whenever everyone says know, it while she's uh, about to get hanged. Yes. The spell that she does mentions that the something about the full Thank moon. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. I thought everyone should know that there was no full moon on Halloween 1993. <laughs> uh, the previous full moon was like 1984 or something like that. Um, fun fact, full moons on Halloween happen every, approximately every 19 years. Um, but not I always. I don't think the film... I don't think the filmmakers wanted to delve too deeply into that, mainly because, you know, it's a work of fiction. So I no. understand why they, that doesn't line up. But it's still funny. Anyway, I just, I wanted to Google it. Suck it, and Disney. I was like, yep, <laughs> suck it. Um, uh-huh. When they, so they go to, they go to the Sanderson house to, 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 to look around. Max finds the candle, and he's like being all flirty about it he's like it's lit by a candle lit by a virgin on halloween night want to try it out basically bragging to the girl he's trying to to get together with i'm a virgin and he's like no or no it's no no hold on he's like want to try it out and she gives him a look like no thanks right uh, (laughs) it's like we get it girl (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's been around the block um but it's just she, a weird it was little... weird to me. Yeah, it was like, I don't. Is he flirting with her by saying that she's a virgin or by saying that he is? Like, I don't know. It was. Strange. I think. I I think he m- might have been trying to find out if she was, yeah. which is just weird yeah. in its own right. So. <laughs> and his little sister's like right there. I know. She... It's so awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, she is. Yeah, and then like we said, she roasts him when the witches come back. Uh, he's like, "What happened?" She's like, "A virgin with the candle." A virgin. Happened. <laughs> you know how. What they does she are. say? Like when they get bullied and she's roasting him for not standing up to them, and he's like, "They would have killed me," and she's like, "At least you would have died like a man." I know. <laughs> I <laughs> love this. Girl is she is metal. Okay, there's at the very the end best um, when. When the witches are about to drain her life force, like right before the finale, um, when Max pulls the stunt with uh, the, you know what? I'm mixing Coaching. him up. When he pull with yeah, when he spills the cauldron, he pulls the stunt with the headlights on the car, um, uh, and they're they're about to get in the car and run away, and Danny is like, Max, I want to watch her turn to dust, <laughs> <laughs> and and Max is like, No, we gotta go. <laughs> Yes. She's like, no, I want to watch her die. I want to see the light. Leave your eyes. Absolute savage little girl. I love it. But yeah, I do like her as a character. I'm more just bored by the boy who's the protagonist and the, I guess, love interest girl who literally could be removed from the entire movie and probably not that much would change. I, would anything change? I mean, she tells them about the house at one point, right? Yeah. But after that, it would be the exactly exactly the same. <laughs> um. Yeah, she doesn't. the The last time I watched it, I didn't really feel the way this time, I guess. But the last time I watched it after the scene at the Sanderson house, she doesn't really have much to say. She just kind of follows them around, uh, and mm-hmm. is like, Max, I. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I agree with Stephanie. Um, Bette Midler, however, is clearly having the time of her life. Fantastic oh, time. The enunciation, God, like it. the way she pronounces things, just kind of incredible. She rolls every single R. Like, she, it's, 
I, like, I don't know if people actually talk that way in the 1690s, but she's certainly doing something. No. <laughs> there, there's a there's a lot of things about the film in terms of accents, uh, costumes, and stuff that do not match up with the time period. <laughs> like, um, Sarah. Yeah. Her, uh, her, her corset. It's not a corset at all, first off. <laughs> and it does not match the time period of the 1690s at they all. They were just very fashionable. Completely different periods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's else, and it's, you know, and you could tell because it's, it's unattached. When, in certain scenes, when she moves around, you could see her bare belly underneath there. Terrible. Oh, no. So, yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot about it, but, um, oh, I do, I, even though the costumes don't match the time period, I do love the costumes mm-hmm. coming from someone who is cosplayed Win- Winifred yeah, Sanderson. Um, and but I will tell you one thing: Winifred Sanderson hair, very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my god! I can only <laughs> imagine the amount of hairspray that that must take. Well, I don't. I don't know quite how she did it, but I put my hair in pigtail buns underneath a basically a Merida wig and pinned it to my buns to give it that you know queen uh, the virgin queen look yeah, yeah that's the way sense. that's the that's the hairstyle it was based you're off right of. it does kind of and like mm-hmm. and so yeah but i love the costumes but they they, they mm-hmm. there's that's my thoughts but they're colorful and they're great and <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. But, right. The witches have a lot of great on-screen presence, which I think makes the the modern characters look more boring by comparison because they're mm-hmm. so like funny and loud and like just say weird shit. Like, <laughs> like it, I don't know. They're, they're really fun on screen. Yeah, if they're the icons for sure. Yeah. If I had one complaint about this movie, it's the in the scenes with the three of them, there are just too many sounds. Too many noises. Because <laughs> they're, they're Winifred will be talking and um oh, what is Sarah Jessica Parker's Sarah. Is it really just Sarah? Sarah. Sarah. Sarah okay. <laughs> Sarah will be saying one word over and over again. And then Kathy and Jimmy's character, who I don't remember. Oh um, Mary. Mary, yeah. thank you. Mary. Mary will just be like spitting out word fragments and stuttering. So the there's just all three of them making noise constantly and it's just a cacophony of sound. Yeah. <laughs> so like I, one of the things I learned o- over the years when I just decided to randomly research these characters is they all have the same mom but different dads really and um, Mary's yeah huh. Mary's dad is literally a bloodhound it's literally a dog is that why she has <laughs> a sharp nose that's why she's yeah, the one who tracks the, down the, the children the good, yeah the tracker essentially yeah what was their huh. other on she was a witch. A dog, apparently. She was a witch. I don't so, suppose you know who the fathers of the other two are. I'm gonna look this up. Continue your okay. conversation. So. Um, there's a scene where they. Oh, okay. When they finally make it into town and all the kids are out trick or treating, um, I love this bit because they're really confused at first and they're a little unsettled and they can't see children anywhere. Um, so, like, the costumes are fulfilling their purpose. And w- one of the traditions mm-hmm. of, you know, that be- became what we know as Halloween was wearing frightening masks um, during that time when, when spirits and 
demons and such would, would roam and to, you wear the mask to scare them away from you um, so that they wouldn't bother you. So I just thought it was super neat that we had that moment where they like they were fulfilling their actual like traditional ancient <laughs> purpose, you know. You're right. You're right. I love when the little kid that's dressed as an angel, I believe, goes, "Bless you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good bit. Oh, no. Um then right after that there's the bit where they meet the guy who's dressed like the devil. And I think that's a funny one-off joke, but that scene just keeps on going, doesn't it? Um yeah. It's a very strange they, scene. They, they uh-huh. beat they beat a dead horse essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which says a lot about this movie. It is iconic, and like I always have a soft spot for it. But the movie's only ninety six minutes, and I feel like almost half of that could be cut. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fluff in here. Absolutely. Um, uh, Billy, Billy the Butcher, played by my man Doug Jones. Always love to see Doug. Famous for every Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, some of the rules in this movie are a little weird. Like, I. They. Like, when they trap the witches in the clay firing oven and the green smoke goes up the chimney, um, I, you would assume they're dead, but then the green smoke gets sucked back in the chimney and they're fine. Like, are they immortal tonight? just tonight until because you know clearly they're they're not always immortal they were able to be hanged um which also was a weird scene because they're just standing on barrels and the barrels get kicked out from underneath them and then they're already dead like they went they didn't fall so they wouldn't have had their necks broken so they should be you know strangling strangling. um i don't know and then then when they're in the cemetery during the final confrontation uh winifred lands on the ground and she's fine but then, like, she takes a step and then she turns to stone. So, like, is the entire cemetery not hallowed ground? Is it only grave plots that are hallowed? I, it, I, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit in a cricket noise. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. It is a little unclear how the rules work in this movie, which seems to be a recurring thing for some of the movies we've been watching this month. Yes. <laughs> That's like when you're dealing with the supernatural uh, in a movie, unless you're making something like um, uh, The Witch, for instance, where you're taking it very seriously, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to run into uh, logic issues. And it's best to uh, just buckle up, be on the ride, <laughs> not think about it. I know, especially... When I... All, all I know is that there's lots of problems in the film. And in me looking up, trying to look up more about, you know, the Sanderson sisters background, <laughs> the lore. I, I am encountering lots of problems yeah. <laughs> like with the full moon, like, like not just with the full moon, but like the biggest thing that, it, you know, it just struck me like, you know, when they refer to cooking with margarine, margarine wasn't invented until like. 18 in 1800 so that don't make sense yeah he asks she asks to see max's driver like their knowledge knowledge of the present is remarkably inconsistent yeah okay like whenever they first see danny they don't believe that she's actually a little witch regardless of the fact that she is dressed a lot like them then when they go into town Mm -hmm. and they see all the kids in costume they're like what is this where are all the children and they're, they don't know what a bus is, but then she asks Max for his ID and license. Um, 
It's mm-hmm. Oh, also, they, they don't know what a road is. Right. They literally think it's a, a stream like, and are surprised when it's solid. I was like, what? Tis from a stone. Yeah, what? <laughs> I, it can't look so, that different from like a stone, like a cobblestone street or something. What? <laughs> isn't Mary's whole thing is that she can smell children? Is that addressed in the Halloween scene? Does she say that she smells them but can't see them? Because yes. if not... Yeah, yeah, they they oh, they, they, okay, they, okay. they well yeah. they stop the bus because Mary smells them, and then they okay, get off the right, bus right. and she's looking around and she th- she thinks she's lost her power, she has a little mini freakout. Also, also like the daylight savings thing. So, in the film, Max claims that it's daylight savings time, which is true. October thirty first was the first day of daylight savings time in nineteen. 19- uh, 93. However, the sun oh. rises in Hocus Pocus at 5 a.m. despite the fact that it wouldn't have been up for another hour. <laughs> so that was another weird thing. But the the whip the and this was something I I remembered at the time when I watched this. Um, but I didn't remember it until just literally right now. In the scene, you know, with Satan, you guys talked about that, mm-hmm. where it was kind of a you know pointless scene. So. The guy who's dressed up as Satan and his wife are played by some pretty well-known directors, Penny and Gary Marshall. And this is creepy because they're brother and sister. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Uh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They probably at least have good chemistry on screen together. I guess. I mean, but it's one of those. That that felt like cameos. it, yeah. It, yeah, and it it well, it very much was. It very much, very, very, very much was. But here's a weird thing: Hocus Pocus came out in July. What? Did you guys know that? Like when it came out at first, like most Halloween films come out in like fall, like September, October. But Hocus Pocus released in July. I wonder why. I I wonder if it was to get the home release near October. Well, what, yeah, so what it was, I think it was, like, to probably avoid competition with other Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas and um, Adam's Family and stuff like that. Makes sense. But the, all, of, all of them, all three of these films went to be on cult, become cult classics. Like, what I, what I find is, like, films that have a lot of problems, especially, like, spooky films, uh, come, even though they have a lot of problems, they're cult classics kind of because of those problems yeah because they're so nonsensical <laughs> and i mean that bet, sense bet midler has even said that hocus pocus is her favorite like that film she's ever done she has had she had so much film on it um I, you can so, tell so yeah. On it. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just one of those things that I think that's really special when an actor enjoys a, a role so much that even though it was just a little bit film and, you know, Michael Keaton was the same way with Beetlejuice and stuff like that. That's that's another connection. Both of the main, like, the main characters who really, even though Bette Midler's character was on screen a lot more than Michael Keaton's was, mm-hmm. they, this is a role that has kind of defined their careers yeah. and they're still known for it even now like that is the thing that people most remember them by for the most part like most later right i mean they're very memorable roles Mm -hmm. both of the both of these characters uh, do kind of like really ham it up and like add a lot of color and liveliness to mm -hmm. to the films when when i watched it with um with my mom she was very excited because she hadn't seen it in years because 
our VHS got lost. Uh, we I don't know where the DVD, we don't know where the DVD is. A bunch of different things. So we hadn't had the opportunity to watch it until you know now it's on Disney Plus, and it was just nice to be able to enjoy it again. Um, but oh, I love it. I just love Halloween movies, and I'm just glad to be able to talk about them. <laughs> yeah, we're we're doing <laughs> this month. We're doing a lot of the movies that we meant to do last month because we were trying to do like yeah. a whole Halloween theme month, but then like shit kind of went awry just in real life, and so we're that's why we're calling it October Two Spooky yeah. Boogaloo because it's all the stuff we wanted to do before Halloween, but now we're just kind of having to do it now. L- listen, this is good because. It takes over the um, temptation to start Christmas stuff in November. Hey, we're only going to do one Christmas episode because there aren't really that many Christmas movies that I can think of that we really want to talk about on here. We are going to do a a Christmas special episode like we did with Halloween where, like, we each pick uh, a favorite Christmas movie. Um, I don't know what they're going to be yet. (laughs) Oh, um, can... I could tell you what my favorite Christmas movie is, but that's, that's for another time. <laughs> uh, my favorite Christmas movie is The Muppet Christmas Carol. I was thinking about picking that Good one right. because choice. that's a big Solid tradition choice. with my family is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, Me we too. watch it every year. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I might do that one because I, I actually, unironically, really love that adaptation. <laughs> Um, I'm considering yeah. making Stephanie watch Jingle All the Way, but also I don't want her to divorce me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't watch that. Don't watch that. There's a lot of there's been a lot of good Christmas movies like um the Chris, Christmas Chronicle. Uh, the second one comes out on like November 25th, so you bet your butt I'm gonna watch that the day after. What is that? Oh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's got uh, basically a uh, hot Santa. <laughs> I mean, I'm about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> good. The first one's on there. Go ahead, watch it. You'll you'd probably actually like it. It's really good. Um, <laughs> yeah. The so we we probably will only do one Christmas episode. It's just it's harder to like have well no there are a lot of christmas movies but they're maybe not as diverse as like halloween movies like because a halloween movie can be all kinds of things like it could be outright scary it could just be kind of spooky most christmas movies kind of fall into the same sort of genre though of course we have our guys who would say die hard is a christmas movie so (laughs) we've heard it guys i mean that being said Uh, we we should talk about die hard mm -hmm. (laughs) but anyway i do not agree with that statement (laughs) Again, uh, I don't really chime in on the Die Hard discourse. Uh, do whatever you want, but there is a case to be made for Gremlins. <laughs> oh, see, I yes. Gremlins. I will agree with that. And actually, Gremlins could be almost. It, it could. That's that's one of the things I like about the Gremlins movie is it can be Halloween because it's Gremlins, or mm. it could be Christmas because it's Gremlins. I have <laughs> an enduring, lifelong hatred of Gremlins. I. <laughs> <laughs> I have an enduring <laughs> hatred of the Chucky films, so... Kill, do you want to elaborate that on why you hate I'll... them? Uh, because they, they scared me as a child, and that's enough to make someone hate something forever. Um, that's fair. That's also why I That's also why I don't like Chucky. Yeah, do you know how many, ta- fair, how many so... nightmares I had about the stupid spider gremlin from Gremlins 2? Oh, well, that's because you watched Gremlins 2. That was your first mistake. <laughs> yeah. That was a that was a definite mistake, um, but also um, now I want to watch Frighteners again. From per your earlier comment, 
So yeah. now I have to find where to watch it, which is uh, nowhere. Uh, pr- probably gonna have to, probably gonna have to do something a little. <laughs> to it's on. Out. Uh, it's on HBO Max. I, I don't I don't have I don't have that Justin. <laughs> oh, uh, not on mic, but message me. I'll give you my luck. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, you. would you care to share your HBO Max login with all of our listeners? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's go at fuckyourself.com. <laughs> oh, that's never your fault. <laughs> no. Okay. Um. So while while they're messaging about that. <laughs> Um, do we have any more thoughts about Hocus Pocus, gents, and non-gents? Uh, no thoughts. Head, Head empty. empty. <laughs> Argue. Uh, <laughs> obvi- honestly, I just gotta say the best scene, we all know what the best scene is. It's the, I put a spell on you scene. Absolutely. I'm glad oh, they let yes. Bette Midler sing. It's like, why have Bette Midler if you're not gonna have her sing something? If that wasn't- I mean, I- I- I think that was probably a requirement. <laughs> it's in her contract. I mean, they're, they're... That was an interesting yeah, I mean... rendition of the song. I, no, I, I've heard the... Um... Oh, Screaming Jay Hawkins? No, I was going to say Nina Simone, ah. I think, uh, version of it. Uh, but I, I have... slower. Of I put a spell on you. Um, I didn't recognize some of the lyrics in this one. I think they changed it for to make it plot relevant because she's casting home. a spell. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. My, well, there's, uh, a, there's also a reference to Gypsy in the line that she said. It was, hello, Salem. My name's Winifred. What's yours? That's a whole oh, reference, a reference to Gypsy. Well, oh, wow. Know? To Gypsy, yeah. So, huh. of course it is, because she was in Gypsy. So. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my opening quote uh, until I went with the Beetlejuice monologue was almost, of all the witches working, I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't that many witches. but <laughs> That's true. That's fair. Closing thoughts, statements, feelings, everybody. Uh, mm. I don't know. I paid a lot more attention to Beetlejuice this time. It just grabbed me more. Um, I thought yeah. it was pretty good. Um, Hocus Pocus. Uh, I don't. There's not not a lot deep commentary to be made <laughs> about it, but it's fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. I'll always like it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like Sarah a lot. I we I feel like we vibe. Um, I got a I got a Sarah Sanderson costume for like fifty percent off at Walmart this this past Halloween, so I'm pretty happy about that. Um, nice. <laughs> maybe I'll get a blonde wig or something. We'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, I I it's weird. I liked Beetlejuice more this time around. I I don't know if I liked Hocus Pocus more. I liked certain aspects of it more, and other aspects I was like, "Why are we doing this?" Uh, <laughs> but but I had a good time though. I like the vibe of both of these movies. Um, like I really like the the New England Halloweeny vibe in um in Hocus Pocus. That makes me really wish I could go somewhere where there is a fall and where <laughs> leaves actually change colors. Uh, c- couldn't couldn't be Florida. Um, Justin. <laughs> um, all right. What else can I say? I love both of these movies. Um, uh, Hocus Pocus is a big part of my childhood, and uh, Beetlejuice is my favorite Tim Burton movie. Um, so just can't recommend them enough. Uh, Beetlejuice you can watch year round. Hocus Pocus it's a great, great, uh, easy watch for Halloween every year. Rachel, I can agree. 
I could agree with that. Obviously, um, my love for Beetlejuice is eternal. Um, there will never be another film like it to me, just because of how much it has affected my life um, in the positive way, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and the cartoon, too, because I grew up with the cartoon. But um, I had um, it's one of those. I, I'm remembering a time where I had a friend of mine over when I still lived in Panama City at my house, and they took a video of me and put it on their Instagram story, and the caption was, this is what Rachel looks like when she watches Beetlejuice, and it it literally features me on my couch, like this, grinning like an <laughs> like idiot. Like a little gargoyle. Like, I look like, I, 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 am, I am lit up like a Christmas tree, like... <laughs> And so that's that's literally how I watch Beetlejuice. Like, is I'm nine thousand percent happy the entire lit up time. Like a jack o' lantern. Uh, hope... Yes, <laughs> anyway. I like that one yeah. better. I'm gonna keep that one. I'm gonna continue to say yeah. that instead of that other one. Uh, but Hocus Pocus is one of those. You know, ho- I watch it on Halloween usually with family or friends. But if I don't know what else to watch, I watch Beetlejuice. Like I think every time I've moved into a new place, I have christened it by. <laughs> watching Beetlejuice. <laughs> I need to pick a movie that I do that with. Like, every time I move into a new place, I put that one on. <laughs> Honestly, so, there were, when I tell people that, people are like, man, I'm surprised you don't do just like a Harry Potter marathon or something. And I'm just like, well, yes, but not, it's not, it's special to me, but not as special as Beetlejuice. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Um, all right, anything all right. else, guys? I think that's it. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter at actual underscore Caleb. Also Letterboxd, it's the same. Stephanie? Um, yeah, um, I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. Justin? <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. <laughs> My name's up. Justin. Uh, you can find me on all social media at Blame It on Butler. You can find the show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. And Rachel, is there anything you want to plug? You can find me um, on uh, Instagram and Twitter under out underscore Rachus. That's R-A-C-H-E-O-U-S. Yes, it sounds like outrageous. I know it's a play on words. Um, or you can find me under Outrageous Cosplay on my Facebook. Admittedly, I am more active on Twitter now than I am anywhere else. Same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will catch you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. Love ya. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.